started. First and foremost, babe, thank you. I love you. Thank you for being a part of my journey and my process and being patient for me um, up to this moment and the moments coming forward. And I love you. I appreciate you so much. Uh, real quick, I want to make mention that this, or not this, sorry, sorry, um, the second Saturday in May, I'm a little nervous, so I'm going to be acting a little more nervous than usual because this is a little bit different than usual. It's not my normal announcements and stuff, so just bear with me. I'm going to talk for a little bit, get the nerves kind of settled, and then then we'll move forward. But in a few sun, in a few Saturdays, our Women's Next Gathering is going to be on May, I believe it's 12th. Yeah, from 1 to 3 here at the building. We are working on having childcare for those ladies that really, truly need it. So like our single moms or our moms whose husbands are working that day, we're going to try to have childcare available for you guys so that you can come. Again, just for those types of situations, no no dads who are wanting to go play golf. Dads, sorry. Cancel golf that day. Let your wife come to the gathering. Be dad. Amen. All right. So that's going to be happening. Also, I just want to say to our men, I didn't get the chance to do this a couple of weeks ago, but um, we had a phenomenal women's retreat. Absolutely phenomenal. But a lot of that is because of you and the time and the prayers that you brought forth. I would hear every week, the men were praying for us, the men were praying for us, the men were praying for us, the men were praying for us. And those prayers bore fruit. And so our victory at the Women's Retreat is just as much yours because you labored in the spirit for us. So thank you so much. Thank you for paving the way in the spirit for us. Um, it was a phenomenal weekend and I just never had the chance to say thank you. So I wanted, I wanted to thank you for that. Let's pray. Let's pray, invite the Lord into this moment. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here with us. God, I thank you for, God, what you've brought us out of and what you've brought us into and where you are still taking us. We thank you for this journey that we've been on and that you've walked every step of the way with. You've never left us. You've never been gone. And we are so, so thankful for that. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence Father, I pray that today, God, when I speak, that, Lord, it would be your spirit speaking, that, Lord, you would say what you want to say to each and every individual, that, Lord, the words that are spoken today would not, would not come forth in condemnation, but instead, Holy Spirit, conviction, that it would not produce performance, but it would produce passion in our lives, that it would awaken deep parts of our hearts, Lord. We pray your kingdom come and your will be done today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I got to share a little bit of my journey of getting to this moment right here because it has been a journey for me. Um, over the years, I've heard people say, man, when are you going to speak? When are you going to speak? When are you going to speak? Which is it, so sweet and I really appreciate it. But I was just not in a place to do it. And some of that is what I'm about to share with you. So I grew up in the church. I, I was one of those blessed kids who, I mean, really from a very young age, got to enjoy growing up in church, many different types of churches, but got to enjoy being in church. And um, at one point in my life, probably around fourth, fifth or sixth grade, um, we went to a phenomenal church that had an amazing children's ministry. And I had children's pastors who just really saw the gift of God in me and really believed in me and really pushed me out there. So I would, in kids' church, I'd be doing dances and I'd be leading worship. And then I started preaching. I'd preach like four or five times in kids' church. And man, I just thought, I'm invincible. I'm amazing. Everyone's telling me I'm amazing. Started believing it. Started believing it a little too much. Um, kind of went through a season where I fell away from the Lord through my high school years and my early college years, and then came back to the Lord. 
well, when I came back to the Lord, uh, he gave me a really huge passion for the nations. And uh, my second mission trip, the first mission trip that I ever led was to Spain. We were in Spain for one month. And any of you guys who've been on mission trips, especially if you've led, you kind of know the how it works. The, the, you get there off the plane, and a few hours later, the contact says, hey, you as the leader, I would like you to speak on our, at our service. So I'm like, okay. Yeah, I haven't spoken in years, but I spoke as a kid, right? I mean, that's should be no problem. So I didn't really sweat it a whole lot. Thought, oh, yeah, I'll just kind of put some verses and some sentences down. Holy Spirit will show up. I'll be great. No problem. So, you know, the days were leading up to when I was going to be speaking at that service. And, you know, there was part of me that's like, maybe I should take some time to prepare. And I was like, ah, I'm busy. I'm tired. Holy Spirit, I, I preached when I was a kid. It's all good. I got this. And so then somebody asked me, what are you going to preach on? I was like, oh, yeah, I probably should figure out what I'm going to preach on. Worship. I'm going to preach on worship. Never led worship except for in children's church. Never read a book on worship. Never spent much time studying worship, but I'm a worshiper. So therefore, I should be able to speak an hour sermon on worship. No problem. So I wrote down a few, you know, psalms and a few ideas on a piece of paper. And the morning came when I got to stand in front of this congregation of about 20 people in Spain, which is actually, at that time especially, was a good-sized church in Spain. And so I get up there, and the, um, the contact introduces me, and I get up front, and, and I pull out my Bible, and all of a sudden the nerves kind of start kicking in a little bit, but I'm like, oh, I'm good. I've done this. I did this as a kid. And um, I sit there, and I pull out, and I read my scripture, and I say my two sentences, and nothing. Nothing came. Nothing came. And I sat there and I just waited. I'm like, okay, next words, next words. Nothing came. And I sat there, you guys, probably for a good two to three minutes just, and then finally said, let's pray. <laughs> so I prayed. Nothing came. And I just sat there with all these people just kind of looking at me like, what's happening? So I just smiled and I said, can we worship some? And so the worship team came up and we started worshiping. And I did up just on my face before the Lord and the pastor came and five people got saved. I mean, that's when you know Holy Spirit did something. He, he took our little, our little mite and turned it into something. But that was my experience, my first experience speaking as an adult. And let's just say it left a mark in a bad way and in a good way. Um, on one hand, it was really good for me because I learned something that Sunday. I learned that it wasn't about me. It wasn't about my giftedness. It wasn't about my experience as a child, that it was a different season, and that I had to learn who God was in a new and different way. And then I, and then I, I learned some humility in that moment. I had to die to myself. And then I kind of made a little bit of an interval that I've had to work through. But I said to myself, I said, I will never get up and speak if I don't know I have something to say. I'll never do it. And at that moment, the Lord changed something in my heart. Because as a child, I loved the attention. You guys know my little Izzy, my youngest? Me. Loved the attention. My sister can attest to that. Loved the attention. Life of the party. Everybody look at me. But at that moment, the Lord broke something in me. And he broke that need for it to be about me. And throughout the years, he's been constantly working on that in me, which then leads me to the message that I'm going to be speaking to you guys this morning. We are going to be opening the Bible to John chapter 15. So if you'll open with me to John chapter 15. This is a real familiar chapter, I'm sure, to most of you guys. If you've been a part of the church for any amount of time, I know you've heard or read this verse and have probably heard multiple sermons on it. But my caution to you today is that not you not sit back and say, oh, I've heard this. Oh, I know this. Because the Lord's saying, listen again. Here again, 
All right. All right. John chapter 15. Let's start with verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I'm going to read that part one more time. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Amen. Amen. Today, you guys, we're going to be talking about John 15 and about fruitfulness. The principle of fruitfulness has been around literally, you guys, since the beginning of time. From Genesis 1, the moment you read Genesis 1, boom, fruitfulness. And it runs, it's a theme that runs through the entire word of God up until literally the very last chapter in Revelation. Fruitfulness was designed by God. It was made by him, through him, and for him. After salvation, we begin the process and our journey of spiritual growth with the hope and intent of becoming mature, fruit-bearing followers of Christ, bearing fruit in our emotional life, in our physical life, and our spiritual life. So just to give you a tad bit of context of what's going on here in John 15, this is happening right on the hills of the Last Supper. Jesus broke the bread. Um, he, he gave some of his last words there at the Last Supper, sent Judas along his way. So that's kind of what's happening here. They leave from this site and they're making their way to the garden to where Jesus then goes to pray. All right, the Garden of Gethsemane. On the way there, Jesus decides to have another part of the conversation with the disciples. Now, you guys, this is literally hours before he's going to be arrested, okay? Literally hours. So I think you've heard this before, but it's kind of really important to pay attention to the things that Jesus says right before he's about to say, take his last breath. Because you're not wasting words at that point. You're saying some things that you really want people to get. And that's what John 15 was birthed out of. Uh, the imagery of the vineyard and plants and vegetation, that's used a lot throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. The Lord refers to Israel a lot in vineyard imagery. Now, there's a ton of reasons why that is, and I'm not going into all that today because I'm still trying to break that down and learn what that means myself. But I think it's very interesting, and I think it's interesting that he uses this imagery right before he's getting ready to be arrested. In John chapter 15, uh, God or Jesus clarifies some rules. Okay, God is the gardener. All right, he says, God is the gardener. Jesus is the true vine. And it's important that he said true because at that time there was some argument about whether or not he was the truth. All right, he's the true vine. And the church and the people are the branches. The people of God, we're the branches. And then we bear fruit. The fruit is the fruit of our life. All right. So I was kind of, before I get ready going into my two main points, I was kind of pondering, all right, fruitfulness. 
we all have, I think, a different ideas of what fruitfulness is. All right, I think we all have kind of some different. If I ask one person, they would say, man, fruitfulness are my gifts. It's when I get to roll in my gifts. It's when I'm prophesying. It's when I'm evangelizing. It's when I'm teaching up here, tearing it up. Man, that's when I'm being fruitful. That's what some people would say. Some people would say fruitfulness is my business is blowing up and I'm making tons of money and I'm able to bless people. And, and they would say, call that fruitfulness. Some people would say, man, fruitfulness is I'm overcoming in my life. I think we all have different definitions of what fruitfulness is. And so I was sitting pondering, man, you know, what, Lord, what is fruitfulness? And I'm thumbing through my Bible and trying to hear from the voice of the Lord and teach me what fruitfulness is. And this, I hope this doesn't sound terrible, but I heard this little still small voice say, Google it. (laughs) I know every Bible scholar in here is going, sorry. So I did, I Googled it. You guys, I'm a full-time mom and I don't have time to be like 20 hours in there. So I Googled it, all right? And I found some really great stuff, okay? God can use Google. All right, this is what Google taught me when I asked this question. It said, the Bible often uses the metaphor of fruit to describe the produce of our lives. Fruit is the produce of our lives. Fruit is the direct result of whatever controls our heart. Fruit is the direct result of whatever controls our heart. Then it lays out Galatians 5. So when you read Galatians 5, it's focused on two different things. It's focused on um, the fruit of the flesh. So when we give way to the flesh, the fruitfulness of that, and then what uh, the fruitfulness of the spirit and what that produces. So uh, I'm not going to go into the the one of the flesh. You guys can read that for yourself. I think we're all pretty familiar about the fruits of the flesh. We'll probably live some of that out. Um, but but what it talks about is it describes what fruitfulness in the spirit, what true fruitfulness for a disciple is. And you ready? It's profound, you guys. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Self-control, faithfulness, and gentleness. These are the marks of a true disciple of God. Now, I think if I were to take a poll of how many of us have heard about the fruits of the Spirit since we were little, we probably memorized them when we were like five, and we can run circles around it. Most of us would probably raise our hand. But if I ask the question, how many of this is a reality in your life? You might get a different response. Sometimes, you guys, the things that we consider to be the most elementary are the things that are most lacking in our lives. And, and to quote my, my hero, Nick Saban, sorry, it was going to come out at some point. You don't win championships. You win championships through the fundamentals. Master the fundamentals. So many of us are trying to master the big passes, the Hail Marys, the trick plays, we're trying to master those things when we don't have the fundamentals down. We're trying to master prophesying, which I am for. We're trying to master healing the sick, which I am for. We're, we're so interested in mastering those things, which are good and important, but we do it at the expense of mastering the fundamentals, which are the things that actually mark us as disciples of Christ. I love what else Google said. It said, the true mark of spiritual fruitfulness, and I love this, you guys, the true mark of spiritual fruitfulness is that God is glorified, we are growing, and others come to know Christ. And this is supported through Matthew 5.16. I'm not going to read these. You can write them down. Matthew 5.16, Acts 20, 26 through 27, and Mark 16, 
15. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says it well. I can do all these incredible things, but if I lack love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. So fruitfulness, you guys. Fruitfulness is what the Lord is trying to develop in our lives. So in John 15, we see two main ways that the Lord is uh, using, two methods that he's using to cause us to be fruitful. Those two things are the two Ps, pruning. Oh, we love it. They're like, I was waiting for that to come out. I knew you were going to say that. Pruning and presence. Pruning and presence. So I'm going to begin with pruning. I've been reading up a lot on uh, planting and pruning and all of that kind of stuff. And it's been really interesting. And I think when we hear pruning, the first thing that we do is go, gosh, that's like shears and cutting and bloody and ouch, you know, hurt. Pruning hurts. And sometimes it does hurt, but it doesn't always have to hurt. I think I've learned when when you kind of give yourself to it a little bit more, it doesn't have to hurt as much. But one of the ways God the gardener produces fruitfulness in our lives is through pruning. Um, what is pruning? I looked at pruning in the Greek because that's the word that they use in there. The Greek word for pruning is kathiro, kathiro. And it literally means to cleanse, to cleanse, to clean. God's not out to hurt you. He's out to clean you, to cleanse you, all right? Now, there are three reasons why pruning is necessary for producing fruitfulness. And this is really important. Three reasons why pruning is necessary. The first one is pruning is necessary because it removes the excess so that sunlight and air can come into the plant and penetrate through the plant. I don't, I probably have to say a whole lot on that. Guys, when our lives are so full of clutter, bad clutter and good clutter, all right, there are things that are good, that are wonderful, that just begin to just pack on and fill our lives, our busyness, our extracurricular things, our TV shows, the, you know, just so many outside voices. God, life, life is constantly bombarding us, not just with bad things, but with good things too. And God has to come in. The gardener has to prune some of those things out. He has to remove even sometimes the good things because it's blocking from the light to come in. And it's the light that comes in that, that can penetrate our hearts and just show us where we're really at. Sometimes we lose, and I think sometimes we'll see this even with Christian leaders or with people who fall, like, man, how did that happen? You guys, the busyness of life. It doesn't even have to take sin. It doesn't even always start with sin. Sometimes it's just getting busy. Sometimes it's not taking time to be still and be quiet and let the Lord remove certain things that he needs to remove, even the good things that he needs to remove so that the light can get in and can reveal to us where we're really at. The second reason that pruning is so important is that pruning develops structure for the plant or the tree so that it can hold the crop. I said the word structure. Ah, structure, structure, boundaries. Oh, these are not words that we get giddy over. They're actually words that we tend to resist, especially in certain parts of the body of Christ, mainly ours. (laughs) If I'm to be completely honest, we don't like structure. We don't like boundaries. We, we, we think that they're wrong or bad somehow. Guys, can I tell you from the beginning of time, God is a God of structure? Who was the, God, who was the person who spoke and things went into order? He is a God of order. And yes, many of us have had very bad experiences with this. We've been under leaders or we've been under systems that structure was used to control or to manipulate or to shut down. Those things are real. Those things are real. That has happened. But you know what? That doesn't mean it's not still a God-given principle. 
There are many principles in our lives, you guys, that, that were given by God, but man came in and messed him up. Sin nature messed him up, you guys. It happens. But just because a man or a woman or a human messed it up does not mean it was not originally by God. And it doesn't mean he doesn't have a purpose for it. You know, Miss Shanae, when she was here, not quite a year ago, but about six months ago, she was sitting down with Jade and I, and we were wrestling through some things that we had seen in the body of Christ that we were really having a hard time with. And she said the most profound thing to us. She said, guys, don't call unclean what I have made clean because you had an unclean experience. Do not call unclean what I have made clean because you had an unclean experience. Guys, I say to you today, just because you had an unclean experience with structure and boundaries does not make it an unclean principle. It is actually a principle that the gardener uses to make his gardens beautiful. Think about it. Oh, here, I got a great story for you. Okay, the old house that we used to live in uh, we, we moved about a year ago. Our old house, uh, when we got there, there was these two gorgeous, big, humongous bushes that sat in front of our house. And we we're like, oh, those are so pretty. And we we're, Jay and I do not have a green thumb. We're not much of the gardener types. So we just let it keep being pretty and it would just grow and do its thing. And, and just, you know, sometimes it, it got really big at times. And eventually a couple years later, Jay's like, you know, I probably need to cut that thing. I probably need to like prune it down and it's getting out of control. So he did. He went and he cut it down only to discover there was a beautiful smaller plant that sat in the middle of those two plants. And all those years, we never knew. And in the fall, that plant was gorgeous. It's one of those that turned bright red and just beautiful. But we never knew because the other plants had no boundaries. The other plants had no structure. So that small, beautiful plant, we never got to see its beauty because the other plants were like, look at how big and wonderful I am. And we never did anything about it. Guys, we got a little bit of both of that in the body of Christ, all right? Some of us in here are those little plants that are just, and some of us are those plants that are like, here I am, look at me. And you guys, that is what pruning is for. Pruning cuts us back for our, the health of ourselves, but also for the health of the others in the garden. All right? Structure and boundaries are not bad. They are a gift. And they are a gift that makes you beautiful and the others around you beautiful. Now, this also says that it, cre it helps build structure to support the crop load. Okay? Now, what happens is, is we, when we don't have the Lord coming and pruning certain areas in our life, do you know what we begin to become? An image of ourselves. We bear our image. Whatever comes out of us, that's what you see. We, we bear our image. But what if God's pruning is to make us into the image of Christ? So that when people look upon us, they don't just see us. And they will see you. And that's a beautiful thing. You're unique. You, you have gifts. You have a voice. You have a personality. But what if it's not just about your gift and your personality? What if Christ is wanting to be seen through that? And so pruning helps develop us into the structure and the image of Christ. And then to hold the crop load. You guys, I believe that there's coming a day where we are going to see great revival. Now, I think sometimes our mindset of revival can actually be a little narrow, if you ask me. That's personal opinion. But revival is coming at some point. And it's going to look the way God wants it to look. But this is what I've learned about revivals, is they come in really fast and they die out because there's no structure to hold them. So what pruning does is it comes in and it prepares the plant 
to be able to hold the fruit in the crop when the crop comes. But see, we resist that. We don't want structure. We don't want boundaries. And guess what? Fruit comes and fruit leaves. It does not continue to bear fruit. and It does not mature. It falls to the ground and dies because there was no structure to hold it. So guys, God is wanting to build something in this house and in our lives that will help hold a crop. That when the lost come in, when the prodigals come in, when the herding come in, they're not going to just fall to the ground and, and, and wilt up. They're going to be able to flourish because we have been allowing the Holy Spirit to prune us and to make us into an image where we can hold those people. And our personal image is not enough. It's got to be the structure and the image of Christ that he's building within us. So what if, you guys, what if God has a beautiful, holy, freeing, life-giving intent with structure and boundaries? What if? What if structure and boundaries all along were meant to be for our freedom, not for our restriction? All right, just ponder that. The third reason pruning is really important is that pruning deals with damaged limbs that become susceptible to disease and insect infestations that could further damage the rest of the plant. You guys, life, just like plants, our lives go through a lot of storms. Many of us have faced storms, we have faced harsh climates. We have faced terrible long winters that seem to never end or scorching sun. Things happen in our lives, you guys. Hurt comes, disappointment comes, offense comes. All those things come. But what's so beautiful is the Holy Spirit comes and prunes. The gardener prunes those things. So, Because what happens is if we don't prune those things, if we don't allow him to prune those things, then we become susceptible to disease, disease called bitterness that will destroy the plant. We become susceptible to insect infestations. Honestly, you guys, I think, I think a fence that's not dealt with is one of the biggest gateways to the demonic. I mean, we wanna make it about music and movies and stuff and those things influence and have, an, I mean, those have a role, but can I just get really down to earth with you? When we harbor unforgiveness, when we're not willing to deal with those things that have hurt us, that is a door wide open. Come on in. It is. So pruning, you guys, pruning helps to gently cleanse and deal with those broken areas of our life so that we're, we're safe from infestation. Because this is the thing, infestation doesn't just affect that limb. It affects the entire plant that it's connected to. Amen. We're a part of something bigger than ourselves. So pruning, you guys, pruning. It's not easy, but it, it is a beautiful process if we will embrace it. It's a cleansing. Guys, God is cleansing us. He's cleansing us. And I have a really good story that goes along with this. Um, so when I was in college, my last year of college, I was really involved in our missions program at ORU. And um, at that time, Jade was already graduated. He was doing seminary, and he was a youth pastor at a church. We were dating. We were engaged. Um, and so I was really, really highly involved. I was one of the first female team leaders that ever led a team out. I was the first female regional coordinator. Everybody respected me. I was like, I had the voice in the office, the, the, uh, the director like loved me. I was golden child, you guys. I was golden child. I was that person that when I spoke, everybody's like, oh, listen, all right? That was, that was me, that was me. And then I got married. And then I got into ministry. 
And suddenly some things began to change. So what happened is we got married and I had a job. I had a few job offers that were for corporate um, organizations. And the Lord spoke to me right after we got married, spoke to both of us. The Lord had already spoken to Jay, but he was kind of praying for me to hear. He was, like, he was giving me space to hear. And I heard from the Lord and the Lord said, you are to work with your husband. Well, there were so many reasons why that was not okay with me. I loved working with him, but I was not excited about working for a local church. You guys, I felt called to the nations. I was like, Lord, send me to Africa. I was that person who was like, please send me to Africa. I will go now. But he wanted me to work with my husband in the local church. So that was the first difficult thing. The second difficult thing was he was a youth pastor, and I did not want to be a youth pastor because my only memories was I didn't want to go to youth ministry. I didn't want to be around my youth pastors. So why would I want to be the very thing that I like resisted with my entire life's being? You know, why would I want to be that? But the Lord was saying, You're, I'm calling you guys to work together and I'm calling you to do it now. So I submitted. I said, absolutely, Lord. That, my life is not my own. It's yours. And so we began to work together. Jade went to our pastors at the time and just said, hey, this is what we're feeling called towards. We know you guys cannot afford to pay both of us. It's a two-for-one deal. I just ask that you, I ask that, yeah, we were, he was barely getting paid as it was. Um, we had way more going out than we had coming in, but that's a totally different story. Um, but, you know, so would you, is that okay with you guys? We got their blessing. Yes, that's great. So I'm thinking to myself, what am I, what am I going to do? Okay, well, missions. I know how to do missions. So immediately I started a missions program with our youth, and we took a trip out, and it was wonderful. And we get back, and lives are changed. And then our missions director in our church came to, came to us and was basically like, you're not leading a missions department anymore. This is running under me. Everything runs through me now. And, oh, my gosh, talk about devastation. Because I'm like, not only is the Lord making me work in a local church, but now missions has been stripped from me. My one thing, my one way that I felt like I could fit is gone. I, I have nothing else. So there was a little semblance of, okay, well, I've got some, you know, leadership, at least that I did in college. So, you know, I'll offer that. And so I would offer things and staff meetings and, and offer things, you know, put ideas and stuff out there. And you guys, I kid you not, it was like I said something and it was like... Okay, well, what about this idea? I mean, it just floated away. It's like it was never said, never existed. Jade, Jade was definitely respected to listen to, but I was kind of, I was an add-on at that time. And this hurt me so bad. I was so disappointed. I was angry. I was like, how dare they not listen to me? Do they not know who I am? You know, how dare they take missions away from me? I am the missions person. You know, I mean, all this stuff rose up inside of me. And I was angry and I was upset and I didn't understand. Didn't understand God, why God would put me in a situation where I was having to do something, A, that I didn't feel called to do. And B, the very things I did feel called to do, there was no place for at all. And I felt so angry and hurt and disillusioned. And guys, that went on for about four or five years. I mean, poor Jade, every night he had to hear about a new identity crisis. I mean, I don't know who I am. What am I doing? Poor guy, he was so patient and just loved me and prayed for me and challenged me at times. It was good. Um, but you guys, I never saw what that season was for until probably about eight years ago. That season happened back in 2001. That's when it started. It went for four years. We moved here, we continued. By the time we moved here, God had given me a passion to be youth pastor. I loved it, I, I enjoyed doing things that I didn't realize I would enjoy doing. But eight years ago, when we became pastors of this church, one of the messages the Lord sent us was the message of sonship. And as I began to really grow in my identity as a daughter, 
the Lord began to show me what the purpose of that season was. And he said, Christy, one day I want you to be a great missions director. I want you to be a great missions mobilizer. But I want you to do it out of me, not out of yourself. And I want when people get passionate about missions, they're getting passionate about missions because I, God the Father, am passionate about missions, not because you, Christy Duncan, are passionate about missions. And one day I'll give you a voice to speak into people's life. But I got to know the voice you're going to speak to them is my voice and not your own. And he began to just show me the purpose in that entire season. Guys, I was being pruned. I was being pruned by the things I loved, the things I was passionate about, the things I lived for were being stripped away. And I didn't understand why until now. And I see the fruit of that in my life now. And I'm still seeing the fruit of that in my life. So guys, pruning can be a beautiful thing. And you know what? My pruning season isn't over. I just went through a different one. And it doesn't make sense yet, but in a few years it will make sense. God will show me the purpose in that pruning. He's so good. And you know what? He doesn't always show you when you're in the middle of it. He doesn't. It is a step. That is when you do that thing that, that Missionary was talking about. You, you can't see the horizon, so you just trust the dials. You just trust the word. You just trust his character. You trust his nature because there's purpose in everything that he does. So pruning is one of the ways that he produces fruitfulness in our lives. The second way he produces fruitfulness in our lives is through his presence. All right, so he talks about pruning, and then he talks about presence. And the three ways that we see him describing presence to us is remain in me. Remain in me. Remain in my word and remain in my love. So what does that mean to remain? To remain in me. The Greek word is meno. The Greek word for this is meno. And this was really cool because as I was reading this, Again, I, can't, I like to chew on those things like, okay, well, what is this exactly? What does that mean to remain? Like, what does that look like? Because I think what remaining looked like when I was in my 20s with no kids looks really different than remaining now with four kids and what it, just seasons of life. What does that look like? What does remain look like? And I love this definition that Strong's gives because it encompasses every season and in everything. So listen to this. This is what meno means. It means to stay, to stay in a given place in a state, in a relation, or expectancy, to abide, to continue, to dwell, to endure, to be present in, to stand, to tarry, to sojourn, to remain is to abide, to not depart from. You guys, some of you, you're remaining just because you simply haven't left. The act of not leaving has been remaining for some of you. To continue to be present in, to be held. I think that's a big one too. Sometimes when we hear remaining, we see what our efforts look like in that. But sometimes it's just being held. Just letting him hold you. That is remaining. To be kept continually. To continue to be, not to perish, to last, to endure, to survive Guys, sometimes just surviving, as much as we don't want to stay in survival mode, there's times where surviving is remaining, and it's okay, all right? To live, to remain as one, not to become another or different, to wait, to await. Those are all the different ways that we can remain in him. I don't know about you, but reading that was so freeing to me. Because again, it took like, God, it can't look, I, I don't have three hours to sit in your presence every day like I used to. 
But the season that I'm in now, there's a provision to remain in him in the season that I am now. In his definition of minnow, it encompasses every season of my life. Remain in me, in his presence. Remain in my word. Diligence in the word, you guys. His word is so powerful. His word is so precious. And being conformed into his word, not making his word conform to us. It is being conformed into his word, not expecting his word to bend to us. We are diligent in the word by reading. I mean, that's kind of a duh. Reading. But how many of us really take time to just read the word? Read. Study. The difference between reading and studying is read is you're reading, but studying is you're using outside sources, maybe commentaries, maybe other theological works, other resources. So the difference is, is when you're studying, you're really seeking to understand. There's times where we just read, but then there's times where we seek to really understand, to seek out, to study. Listening or sitting under the teaching of the word, which is what we're doing here. That's what we do with podcasts. Discussing and sharing the word, engaging with it. Confessing the word. Guys, there is power in confessing God's word. It gets into our hearts. It gets into our minds. It gets into our beings. Confessing the word. Meditating on the word. Sitting down and just soaking in it and meditating being still and quiet and just letting the word seep in. Living what the word speaks. Living the word. So these are the different ways that we remain in his word. It's more than just reading it every once in a while, you guys. It's reading, it's studying, it's discussing it, it's interacting, it's confessing, it's meditating, and it's living it out. And then the third way we remain is we remain in his love. We remain in his love. To me, this is one of the easiest and yet hardest ones of all because his love is so available and it's so all around us but life has so conditioned our eyes to not be able to see it and therefore we don't know how to receive it you know I used to pray Lord give me more love give me more love he's given all the love that he is he's given all that he is to us it's there it's available but it's part of our journey and our process of having our lenses cleaned, of having our lenses redeemed, of having our lenses cleansed and pruned so that we can see his love that's standing right before us. His love is all around us. It's in the relationships that we have. It's in the words that we hear. It's in worship. It's in the beauty around us. His love is all around us, you guys. But we need a revelation of that. And no amount of willpower, no amount of, oh, can make that happen. It is just, Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes that I may see your love. Open my eyes. And it's so, it's so important because his love, you guys, it purifies our seeing. His love purifies our hearing. His love purifies our understanding. His love purifies our doing, our motivations, why we do what we do. His love purifies that. It was his love that took those things, of, that allowed those things to be taken from me all those years ago. That was his love because he knew, Christy, you're not operating out of my love in this. You're operating out of your self-worth. You're out, out of your own motivation, out of your own need for acceptance and identity. And his gentleness and his love over time cleansed that and has brought love. So now my motivation is love. Amen. I love how Pete Scazzaro says this. He says in um, one of his books, loving well is the essence of true spirituality. It requires experience and connection with God, with others, and with oneself. It begins, however, with our response to God's invitation to practice his presence in our daily lives. 
He then invites us to practice the presence of people with an awareness of his presence. But learning to practice his presence is no small task. Originally, I had a third point to this message, but I was running kind of long when I was practicing, so I took it out. So I'm, but I'm going to kind of hit it here. You guys, it takes patience. The pruning process, the presence process. Guys, this isn't stuff that happens overnight. This is a lifetime. And the reason I didn't put number three as process, that word process, is because we've Americanized even that word. And to us, process is, oh, I'll do A, and I'll do B, and I'll get C results. Or, you know what, fine, yeah, I'll do a process, no problem. Give me that bag, I'll open it up, I'll stick it in the microwave, 30 seconds, boom, process is done. <laughs> that is the American way. Guys, Jesus said it himself, the kingdom is like leaven that works its way slowly through the bread, through the dough. It takes time. You can't rush it. And it's so hard because we want to be there, wherever there is. We want to be there so bad. Newsflash, we're never there until we're standing face to face with our Lord and Savior. And in the meantime, we are in process. We are walking towards those things. We are moving towards those things, embracing his pruning into our lives embracing what he's trying to remove so that his light can come and shine in and, and reveal the deepest parts of our hearts. And, and if we're honest, sometimes we don't want those things to be removed because we don't want to see the deepest parts of our hearts. But he is so good and he is so faithful and he is so true and he will cleanse those things. If we will just give him space to prune those things out, he's so good, guys. It's not about what you do. It's just about giving him space to do it in you. So he prunes so that the light can come in. And he prunes so that he can form us, not as much into our image, but his image. So that we can hold the fruit that he wants us to hold. And he prunes us so that the broken, hurt places in our life can become free and cleansed and healthy and not subject to the enemy's use. He prunes us and he gives us his presence. We get to remain in him. We get to remain knowing that he's with us. Everywhere we go, he's with us. In those dark times, he's with us. In the valleys, he's with us. In the sunshine, he's with us. When we're at the beach, he's with us. When we're on the mountaintops, he's with us. When we're in the desert, he's with us. When we've fallen and we're bloody and bruised, he's with us. His presence is always with us. And how do I know? I know because I know his word. Because his word lives in me. It's not just something I practice in my head. It's something that's lived out through my life. It's becoming that way, I should say. I have not arrived but it's becoming that in me. I'm growing in that. And I'm growing in his love. I'm remaining in him. Becoming a fruitful follower of Jesus through pruning and presence requires an ending amount of patience, grace, mercy, endurance, and trust in the gardener and in the vine. It is complete trust in that gardener that he knows where he wanted to plant the plant he knows what plants he wanted to put that plant next to. He knew exactly the amount of sun that that plant was going to need and the amount of water it's going to need and the type of soil it was going to need. The gardener knows. The gardener knows where you're supposed to be planted. The gardener knows who's supposed to be in your life. The gardener knows what kind of nutrients you need in your life. The gardener knows, and he knows how to form you the way that he wants to form you. The Father is faithful, faithful, faithful. In closing, you guys, our journey is... Um, our journey in becoming mature, fruitful sons and daughters was designed by God from the beginning of time 
and will be with us throughout all eternity. As we continue this lifelong journey, allowing God, the gardener, to prune us so that his light can shine through our lives, so that we can be made in the image of Christ and that we can be healed of our brokenness. Maintaining our nourishment and our source of life by remaining in him, in his word, and in his love. That when we stay so connected and so clinging to him and steadfast in this, he is faithful and he is patient with our ongoing process. We, too, can be patient with our own growing process and the process of others. Then there is no question, you guys, we will be fruitful. You will be fruitful. You will. When you submit to the Lord's work in your life, you will be fruitful. And it is nothing that you can make happen. Only he makes that happen. And that is so freeing. I don't know about you, but that's freeing. I don't have to go to the grocery store and go buy fruit and attach it to me and say, look how fruitful I am. No, he develops that in me. My job is to let him and to love him and to remain close to him. That's my job. Fruit that gives off the fragrance of Christ the type of fruit he wants in us and that he is developing. Let me tell you, church, you are having fruit developed in your life. You may not feel it right now. You may not see it. You may feel discouraged, but fruit is being developed in your life. Some of you guys are starting to see the buds. Some of you guys feel like you are still in the dead of winter. God is producing fruit in your life. He is faithful to do that. And the fruit that he's producing is fruit that gives off the fragrance of Christ. Fruit that reflects the beauty and brilliance of Christ. Fruit that tastes of the goodness of Christ and fruit that yields the healing and restorative agents of Christ. This isn't fruit that comes and goes as earthly fruit comes and goes. This is fruit that remains and will continue to impact for all eternity. Remember what I said, fruitfulness, it is a principle that God created from the very beginning of time. It runs throughout the entire Old Testament the entire New Testament, and it is present in the very last chapter in Revelation. Revelation 22, one through two says, then the angel showed me the river of water of life as crystal, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the lamb down the middle of the street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. This is my favorite part. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The fruit of your life, it's not fruit just for you. It is for the healing of the nations. What he wants to produce in you is so much bigger than you. It's so much greater than what you can even imagine or even compass. It goes beyond your lifetime. It goes throughout all eternity. When we allow him to produce love in us, yes, it affects our here and now, but guys, it reigns throughout all eternity. When we practice and allow him to have patience in our life, it goes throughout all eternity. His fruitfulness is for all to be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. The ultimate marks of fruitfulness in a follower of Christ, God being glorified, us growing, 
and others coming to know Christ. Father, today, God, this is what we want. Father, we want your fruitfulness in our lives. God, we want our lives to matter. God, we want people to to be able to experience you when they experience us. And God, we're not perfect. And God, we mess up. But you are so good and you are so faithful. And you take every little bit we give you and you make something beautiful out of it. You produce beautiful fruit out of some of the ugliest plants. You make things beautiful, God. Today, we, we submit to you. We submit the pruning. God, the pruning that we experienced years ago that we're still trying to make sense of. God, we submit it to you and we trust you. God, the pruning that we're experiencing right now in our lives, God, we feel like both things that we know need to go, but also things that we love, we feel like those things are being stripped away from us. Lord, we trust you in the pruning. And God, the pruning seasons that are yet to come, God, we know your goodness and your faithfulness. That God, you're you're cleansing us. You're clearing out the debris so that your light can shine in us and through us. Father, you're healing the broken parts. And God, you're forming us and molding us into the image of your son. Through our uniquenesses, through our personalities and our gifts and our callings, yes. But in order to reflect Jesus, we submit to that. Give us grace for every person who right now is in the middle of a pruning season. God, grace, grace, patience, grace, patience, love. And Father, may we never stop clinging to you, the vine. May we never stop remaining in your presence. And God, when we've run away from your presence, God, we step back towards it. Your word, God, you've cleansed us through your word, God, where we've not valued your word or where we've stepped away from your, God, we step back to it. And your love, God, where we do not yet see your love, would you cleanse our eyes so we can accurately see what has always, always been there for us. And we do this, Lord, for your glory, for the honor due your name, for the faithfulness of discipleship in our lives, of growing in you. And God, we do this so that others may live. In Jesus' name.